0: From Beast Radio, I'm Mikey Dabb, and you're listening to The Hype Report. Today we discuss if the 2020 Tokyo Olympics could get canceled due to the coronavirus. Raph Simmons hired as Prada's first ever co-creative director. A $6.7 million lawsuit from Long Island City's Five Points graffiti artist and the upcoming Candyman movie.
1: Hey, it's Nia Gross. I'm an editor at Hypebeast.
0: Good morning, Nia. How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you? Been a
0: while. I've missed you.
1: I know. It's been a long time.
0: Great to have you uh, at the (laughs) podcast today. So we're talking about the Olympics and uh, the coronavirus and a possible cancellation.
1: Yeah, that's huge news. But at the same time, once that news broke, I don't think many people were, not talking about the athletes, but I don't think the masses were upset or really surprised. I think the reaction was generally like, oh, yeah, we should cancel that.
0: This is a great idea.
1: So and that came from the International Olympic Committee themselves who are saying yes, we are considering canceling and it would be canceled, not postponed because of the nature of the event it itself is so huge you can't quite just move it a few months down the line or try to have it next year.
0: Yeah, it'll just shift it to December. <laughs> it,
1: right. So it doesn't work that easily. Uh, so it is huge because the Olympics this year are planned to be in Japan and Japan has spent about twenty five billion dollars. With a B. With a B, billion, billion. Okay. and of course, you know, there's some of this is people investing into it so they can be sponsored, so they can have their name on displays, you know? So there's a lot of people invested in this, and of course, the athletes, you know, probably the main ones, but at the same time, the coronavirus is very real and it's becoming more and more real as we get more information and more cases come up.
0: It's actually pretty scary once you start delving into some of the details about the actual virus and uh, possible vaccines. But even if they do find a vaccine, it wouldn't even show up for about a year or so. And the projection is uh, is a little scary as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, business wise, so we would talk about uh, Japan mm-hmm. as you know, business entity, whatever you want to call it, and businesses around it. I know their stock market, Hang Seng, I believe it's called, uh, is down like 6.6. Like they're losing money and hemorrhaging money left and right. And that's going to be a global effect. So it's not just the Olympics at this point, but I think that's the bigger issue now.
1: Exactly. I completely agree. And I think this news of the Olympics possibly being canceled is just where people are able to really dig in more and see, obviously, like you mentioned, the stock markets are falling. So on the investment side of it in that lane, plenty of people are preparing or thinking that it's gonna be bad. But when you put it into this kind of more human context of an event that we're all familiar with, we're all excited about, you really realize how much it's impacting everyone. And financially, like you said, in America, the Dow Jones, they're saying it's basically reaching its lowest since the 2008 Mm -hmm. decline. And that's extremely scary. And it just continuing to plummet every day essentially
0: i thought about this for the olympics and uh it's it's something that you don't want to postpone obviously you can't postpone it. it's not something that you want to put off but i think it's the safest measure um there's also in switzerland i believe it is there's a the the basil world which is jewelry and watches mm-hmm. the fair that they have every year and it's the biggest fair that they do they've already postponed it till i believe 20 21. spring of 21 i saw that um and that's just a telltale sign that people are actually starting to heed the warnings that is the coronavirus there's no telling how fast it's going to spread there's no telling how far it's going to spread so exactly. i think it's smart to start rationing where people are going.
1: Completely uh, so true, I I think because Right now, a lot of the cases have been in China where it started, right? So I think that's why in some levels, like U.S. has 60 cases right now that we know of. So in a country that has 320 or so million people, that doesn't sound like super scary. It sounds containable, but it's one of those things where you have events like this, the Olympics coming up. You don't even know how long that will take to transfer to all these people that are coming from every country around the world and then going back to their home countries like that's scary. But even before that happens in July, if it should take place, Right now, we're in like fashion month, for example. We don't even know the full impact of that. People have been going from New York to London to yep. Milan to Paris. And to my theory, or I don't think it's far-fetched or anything, after Milan Fashion Week, the case has spiked. So a clear correlation. Curious to see what that looks like in France with Paris Fashion Week wrapping up yep. soon. Yep. So to me, it makes sense. And I think a lot of people, like I said, are on the side of, yeah, cancel, but the Olympic Committee is going to wait until May, or at least at this point, they're saying, to make the decision. So we'll see by then, of course, where exactly this virus has spread and just how big it's getting. I think another scary part about it is yesterday they just found the first case of someone who, from what they can see, wasn't recently in China, wasn't in contact with someone, didn't mark off any of the boxes that they thought had been why people were getting coronavirus. So that's a whole new curveball that just came up in California. So that's a whole new curveball.
0: Yeah, I think that at this point, governments need to take it as serious as possible and as, as a very large threat. I guess we'll just have to stay on track with. Uh, well, do you have any closing thoughts? What do you what do you got left I over do there? Think I'm it's, sure you do.
1: I do think it's an interesting note that the last time that the Olympics was canceled was in 1940 and when it was also scheduled to be in Japan. Yep. That's an interesting turn
0: of events. Fact.
1: And then the other, I think, last interesting note is the last Olympics, which took place in Brazil, there was an outbreak that time to the Zika virus. Mm-hmm. It still went on. The Olympics did still go on. It would be interesting, I should say, to compare the mortality rate of the Zika virus, you know, versus the coronavirus, which is obviously still everyday changing. But that is a note, too. There was a virus before at the last Olympics and they still went on. This one might potentially be a little bit too dangerous to do that. So, yeah. We'll see. Well, thanks, Nia, for
0: coming by. Of course. Uh, thanks for having me. always appreciate you.
1: Several people are saying and recommending that, yes, while we don't know how bad it will get, now would be a good time to start preparing. So one of the outlets mentioned it in a really easy way. They said, think about how you were prepared for a huge snowstorm. Like, it might not come, but if it did, you'd want to have certain things. So something to keep in mind and maybe something to start even doing this weekend. Thanks, Nia. Mm-hmm.
0: For the latest in sports news, follow
2: Hypebeast.com forward slash sports my name is Jake. I'm an editor here at Hypebeast. And this week, we're talking about Roth Simmons joining Niuchia Prada. Well, good morning,
0: first and foremost. How yes, are good you? good morning.
2: I'm well. How are you? Is this
0: exciting news for you or?
2: You know, it's something that was rumored about uh, as as long ago as like two months. And so you've been thinking about it and you know, tossing it over in your head. It uh, it becomes a little bit less surprising. And I think it's exciting if you're the kind of person who's buying Prada and mm-hmm. who is a big Ralph Simmons fan. Then it's very exciting. Otherwise, you know, we'll see. I mean, it could have larger implications, but. Question. So, yeah.
0: so I'm not very well versed in Raph Simmons, Roth? I should say Ralph Simmons, right? Raff Simmons. Raff Simmons, uh, body of work. Sure. What, what are some of his key pieces that I should be aware of?
2: Well, there's a lot to dig into there, but I think a good generalization would be to sort of point out he's an incredibly influential figure in the early 20th century, uh, 21st century, oh, 20th century, <laughs> he's 100 years old, uh, the early 21st century menswear. So like the late 90s, early 2000s, Sims had a lot of influence in how menswear sort of expanded beyond just uh, tailoring and just, you know, classic staple pieces. He pushed a little bit more graphic. It was a little bit more political. Uh, a lot of his silhouettes were were something that a lot of other houses took notice of in their lines and he set a lot of standards for design in that era and since then he's kind of undergone a shift he's done some innovative things with like working with adidas Mm -hmm. which he's done for years and years he worked for jill sander then dior then calvin klein and each of those was well received critically not always commercially but the ideas trickled down through the greater fashion ecosystem the the main thing to realize without getting too deep into it is he has a lot of people watching him which Mm. gives him a lot of influence
0: well, I'm, I'm more familiar with the footwear out of anything, sure. footwear guy. So what does this mean for Prada? Or what does it mean that Prada has reached outside of their own house mm-hmm. to bring someone new in?
2: Well, it's interesting because, you know, Prada is not a, a conglomerate-owned company. It is part of the Prada group, but it's not owned by Kering or LVMH, which are the biggest fashion mm-hmm. conglomerates. So them kind of digging into, uh, you know, these other designers, the, the pool of designers that they can, that they can draw from to work with is interesting because it says that to me, they want to expand the people who are buying Prada and looking at Prada, especially recently their menswear is doing really well. They have the Linnea Ross line. They have these shirts, Pusha T, Kanye, you know, go on. There's, there's all these celebrities that were big into these shirts a couple of years ago. Mm-hmm. And there's the footwear. So, I mean, they're doing really well and they have this uh, sort of evolving consciousness of their brand, especially of their menswear. But adding in that household name, Roth Simmons, Mm -hmm. is really bringing in that halo effect, which is what Calvin Klein wanted when they brought on uh, But That's a story for a different time. The point is (laughs) Prada is getting the name. They're getting this group of people who are attuned to Roth Simmons, and they're going to have a lot more eyes on them. And they're probably going to try to appeal to a, a broader audience.
0: The youth. The youth. The youth is uh, is uh, the most important thing to grab for right now. Yeah. uh, Aside from everything else that's going on. But uh, let's talk about his design and what that means for Prada. So uh, we have fashion week for September is when they'll start previewing those looks. Right. What do you anticipate it's going to look like?
2: So they're going to roll out. uh, That'll be spring summer. 21 is the first Roth Simmons with Prada collection. It's interesting to note that it is with Prada. This is where the real the probably the most interesting part of this whole partnership is that it's not Roth Simmons for Prada. It's Ralph Simmons and Miuccia Prada co-creative directors together.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: First time this has really ever happened in the fashion industry is two major designers partnering together. Uh, sort of late, not even not late in the game, but uh, with developed houses. Yeah, this yeah. is not a new brand. You know, Prada is over a hundred years old, so they've got some time. They've they've been around. They've been around. The name is there. The interesting thing about the designs they're going to show is that I have a feeling it's going to stay within the realm of Prada. Prada's menswear is almost always focused on tailoring. There's a lot of blazers, a lot of trim, form-fitting knitwear, shirts. It's rooted in conventional, accessible silhouettes. They don't usually they do a lot of crazy uh, accessories and accents on occasion, but generally speaking it's it's pretty wearable. And I think Roth's going to bring in a lot more graphics. I think there's going to be a new emphasis on footwear and sneakers because even though he's doing a new line of footwear for his uh, his own label, one thing I do want to quickly mention is that Roth Simmons works with a, a designer whose name is Pieter Mulier, who is Roth Simmons head of design. Mm. Notice that Roth's a creative director, this guy's the designer. He's staying at the Roth Simmons eponymous brand. Roth's the only one going to Prada. Hmm. So I think that's going to bring a lot of Roth's design sensibilities, but not necessarily his actual designs. So his ideas are coming to Prada, but not his clothes themselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it
0: makes plenty of sense. I, I feel like that's almost along the same lines as Virgil going sure. to oh, absolutely. Louis Vuitton, which is kind of what I, I was going to allude to after we had some thoughts on what the design was going to look like. But yeah, yeah, I think I think you addressed that very well as far as Prince and whatever he's going to bring to the table for them. And again, that I think splitting the responsibility as creative director Brings a new approach as well because it's not just one person and locking it into being you. Right now, I can keep my traditional Prada feel and bring something new to the table as well. So I'm I'm actually curious to see what this is going to look like.
2: Yeah, and I think it is worth mentioning. You know. Prada did uh, their own Adidas collaboration recently. Mm-hmm. These are two companies that both have worked with Adidas. If we're thinking about the most accessible part of the fashion industry, it's generally footwear. Mm-hmm. So this could be a great opportunity for them to do their own dual branded uh, Adidas sneaker. And now it's like extra attention because not only is the menswear appealing, Roth will be doing womenswear as well, but uh, the, the clothes have their own specific niche. They are really expensive. The footwear is expensive, but not inaccessible. It's reasonable though.
0: Yeah. As far as designer footwear goes. Right. So I'm, I'm always excited to see what product does. It's very, very basic too sometimes, but yeah. Roth and being there is probably going to bring something new. Exactly.
2: And we'll see if that changes. We'll see if that, that sort of basic versatility is really appended when, when Roth brings some more like outlandish creative ideas with the stuff with Calvin. that was like one of the complaints, maybe it's a little too out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was for the consumers at the end of the day, but this is Prada. You can pretty much get away with anything. And I think uh, that'll lead to some pretty interesting collections down the road.
0: Well, I appreciate you stopping by today. Always yeah, a course. pleasure. Yeah, good to see Learn you. Learn some new things every time I'm with you. For the latest in fashion and style, follow Hypebeast Style on Instagram or go to Hypebeast.com forward slash fashion.
3: Hey, this is Isaac Rouse, Associate Editor for Hypebeast.com. We are talking about Jordan Peele's newly produced Candyman film.
0: Okay. Uh, watch the trailer. Right. Um, I haven't seen the original Candyman in about 20 years. Let's go with that. So could you, uh, I, I've been hearing a lot of background to what the actual story for Candyman was and social justice from the original. So uh, could you break that down for me? Cause I feel like, you know,
3: well, basically you find out that Candyman is basically this guy who was an artist who started dating this white woman back in the early 1900s. Or late 1800s, they got married, fell in love, and then, you know, her father kind of, like, put him in this situation where he thought he was getting rewarded for something, but it ended up being just a big lynch mob or big racial mob. And instead of just doing the regular lynching that, you know, was done in those times, they just made it 10 times worse and just, like, poured all this honey on him and just let bees continually sting him until death. And then he just becomes this malaying spirit that kind of wants his legacy to live on through, like, folklore and stuff like that. But doesn't really want to reveal himself too much. It's a weird kind of thing where he's like wrestling for recognition and and notoriety because it sustains his
0: life spiritually. Okay. So there's, there's a lot of underlying uh, racial tones in the original as well. Yeah. So it's kind of, you can kind of see where I'm going with this with Jordan Peele taking over being the kind of creative that he is and his ability to adapt to those situations in his own works. Yeah. So just tell me where the original came from. So the original creator. So
3: Clive Barker, who is known for making Hellraiser, he kind of made this little short story and then the actual writer director for the cany man that we know, which is, his name is Bernard Rose. He came in and kind of like put all these allegories with like present social issues going on in Chicago, or at the time going on in Chicago, kind of married the graffiti folklore in the original story and kind of like pushed it towards the contemporary graffiti life and that kind of graffiti sort of like carries on the folklore and has people kind of remember respect his name while also living in fear of him but
0: so he tells a story using the the environment around his setting. So it's it's a ghetto, so to speak. Yeah, yeah. Where it takes place. So what he uses is the the ghetto's artwork, which yeah. is what they would have known it as in the nineties because it was all oh, graffiti's everywhere. They're destroying our neighborhoods. But it's a
3: weird thing too, where it's kinda like, you know, kind of gets into a thing where people kind of protect the folklore and kind of like protect it as their own, even though they're kind of terrorized by it. So it gets into like a whole mindset of like black people and kind of handling things in-house. Like, I feel like Candyman himself kind of fell into the wayside of, like, the iconic 90s horror movies, because you gotta remember, this was highly underrated, and, like, before this, Jason was taking Manhattan, and after this, like, the only good horror film that would kind of come out and rejuvenate the genre is is Scream, with Wes Craven's joint. So, like, now, I feel like it's, like, the prime moment to kind of revisit Icon. It was made iconic by Tony Todd and, you know, his dingy mink coat, bloody rusty hook and all that, and he's Coming back in this film and it's showing little small, you know, little glimpses of him through like reflections and weird visions and stuff like that. I, I'm I think it.
0: I think the trailer did a very good job of portraying the character one yeah. um, kind of bringing light. You usually when you see like horror films, it's very dark and you can't tell what's going on. It's very bright. Yeah, it's very vibrant, too. And the the role in which the protagonist takes is being is he's coming as a photographer. Yeah. And he creates a studio and he wants to pay homage to the Candyman. And from what it seems. He's turning into the Candyman.
3: Yeah, it's sort of mirroring the original film, which I I don't want to spoil because it's on Netflix right now. But basically, like any person who's kind of digs into the lore a little too much, like in the first one, it was um, and she uh, eventually starts digging deep because it's like a college thesis of hers. And I think with the lead actor in this movie, he's digging into it, too. He's back in the same Chicago projects. But what's different now is it's like gentrified. Mm. And so, like, <laughs> I feel like the spirit is, like, extra angry because <laughs> he always wants his line is always like, let me terrorize you. Let me become pretty much your Grim Reaper. And so, like, he slowly comes into the real world based on how much you're afraid and believe him. Sort of like a Freddy Krueger type thing.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah.
3: But yeah, even there's a returning character in this film. In the trailer, she, like, claps her hands. She's like, shh, shh, shh not don't, don't say that. She's a returning character uh, okay, from okay. the original film, which I, I'm so glad that they brought her back because she's such a pivotal, like. Paid a little homage. Uh, yeah, it's homage and she's really pivotal in the original Candyman itself.
0: All right. So I might be a little early for prediction on this, but I have a feeling this is going to be one of the good ones this year.
3: It, yeah, it has definitely has the potential. The only thing that I didn't like about the trailer, to be honest with you, is the scary Beyonce song say my name say my name and you know beehives and a bunch I'm of bees and i wasn't
0: mad at that all what, what are, you, are you you're not part of the hive i mean there's nothing <laughs> wrong with beyonce and her music no i just hate i don't hate but uh-huh. jordan peele no.
3: is kind of like
0: he's done this with
3: i've got five on it thing he's doing it with this i feel like it's gonna like don't fix it it's don't broke don't overuse it
0: oh wow say <laughs> okay, well played. well thanks for coming by isaac always a pleasure of course man For the latest in entertainment news, follow Hypebeast on Instagram or go to hypebeast.com forward slash entertainment.
4: Hey, how's it going? This is Keith Stiller, our editor at Hypebeast. What's going on, Mikey? Top of the
0: morning, Keith. We have a very big segment today. This is a very big news. Very, very big news. All right. So let, let's let's get right into it. Five points. The artists were awarded 6.7, 6800000 million yes. in settlement. What's five points?
4: Five points is what like the local graph heads in New York City call the mecca of graffiti and street art. It is a 200000 square foot establishment it was like a legal space for artists to come international artists and you know ogs on the block to do throwies burners murals and, and whatnot it was like an open invitation from the founder jonathan cohen aka Mears one for artists to like you know do their thing you know creative expression as they call themselves like aerosol writers you know
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
4: it was a really important you know piece in long island city that i also grew up checking out frequenting yeah frequenting you know queen's natives Absolutely. take the seven train and i'm then, with you
0: so it was established in 1892. It was a meter factory for water meters. Yeah. Right. And then the developer took over in the 1970s. It was Jerry Walcoff. Jerry per- Walcoff. Which yeah. is the person like they were fighting against right now. Yeah. But more importantly, like it was a world renowned site. Yeah. For street art and street artists. Yeah. So I think that's the, the biggest part of this is the fact that people knew about this site everywhere. Everywhere, not no matter, just in New York City. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So what does this decision mean for the future of street art and street artists? It
4: affords the like, artists who do public art relief in a sense that their artworks have a very strong potential to be protected and preserved in future, you know, incidences like this.
0: So so we're, we're talking artists and the art pieces. So it's like two different things. So like once the artist creates the piece, there's like a time frame in which it has to live. So I'm, I'm yes. assuming at some point, it has to gain notoriety for it to fall under this auspices of being protected, kind of. Yes. You know what I'm saying? So so basically, like once an artist, like you can't just go to a, a school wall and throw something up for a couple of days and they clean it off and go, oh, you guys destroyed my artwork. It has to be something that has some kind of longevity and, like I said before, notoriety. There are artists who have had their works destroyed previously. So past, present, and future, we've had artists who've had their works destroyed Do you think that they'll be able to go back and revisit some of those cases and maybe award those artists money as well?
4: Yes, but I would have to say that there are some conditions. So in this legal battle that spanned like seven years, Jonathan Cohen, Mir's one, and the 20 artists and their lawyers were using the Vera Act, the Visual Artist Rights Act, which afforded them protection because they were saying that their works had stature. So I think it depends on the artwork that has to have what you say, like notoriety or some sort of appeal.
0: I think that's a fair assessment. I'm actually very happy that they won. If there was any case to win, I think this was the one. Yeah. Uh, I remember, was it the Volkswagen commercial a while back yes. where the artist, they they stole their artwork for they the featured, commercial. Yes. Yeah.
4: They featured like a mural in the backdrop of this car ad.
0: Now this isn't whitewashing the artwork, but it is, is another situation where this artwork had notoriety and yeah. so much notoriety that they wanted to use it for a commercial and then not pay the artist for it. I think we're coming to a point in street art or our aerosol artist, as Aresol you uh, as mentioned yeah. before, where they're getting enough acclaim for this art to be represented correctly. Yes. So I'm, I'm, I'm actually very happy about this. Well, how do you feel about it?
4: Yeah. I mean, I'm very happy too. Like, I think it was just messed up that it was, like, whitewashed, like, overnight. Um, as you were saying before we started the session, Mirrors wasn't warned about this whitewashing, and the artists weren't cautioned as well. And it was also, like, a legal space for them to create these paintings that took them quite some time to build, you know, and design. And from, like, a span of, like, 11 years when it was founded in 97, when Mirrors had this program, people, like, flocked to that space. In 2013, he said on Instagram caption that, like, you know, six tour buses would just, like, roll up there. On a daily like, basis. Yeah, on a daily basis with like tours, just checking out like all these pieces.
0: And for those of you listening that don't know what whitewashing is, the owner of the building was setting up to create condos from the space. Uh, they had talked about it becoming an art space for quite a bit. That never happened. And then all of a sudden one day the artist showed up there and the buildings were completely whitewashed, meaning that they painted over everything with white paint. Yes, Um, that that's, I think, where the biggest issue came from. And for me uh, personally, looking at it from an outside perspective, if you were you know, obviously you own the building, you can do whatever you want. But uh, you know that people are frequenting this location and you're going to be able to sell those apartments for quite a bit of money based on the fact that you've had tour buses in and out of here for God knows how long based on our art, you could have at least given us a heads up like, hey, you know, we're going to whitewash this in a week, two weeks, a month take whatever you need to take the pictures, whatever it is that you need to do. Let's get it done. And I think that would have saved them quite a bit of money. Yeah, for sure. Unless they were able to preserve it as a national landmark. And then that would have been an issue.
4: Yeah. I mean, now it's completely demolished. You know what I mean? In 2014, they demolished a building, which was very unfortunate. I had like a little hope that they would, you know, win the appeal and then, you know, they would jump to start this program and and whatnot but yeah the building's completely destroyed yep um but these artists uh, along with mirrors they started a new uh, museum of street art and that's what it's called mosa and on bowery and they're doing the same sort of program but in a smaller space but has that sort of uh you know creative spirit
0: well i think we got everything uh, covered on this topic for show, sure, for show. Sure. always a pleasure having you come by all right man daps on the mic as always For the latest in art and design news, follow Hypebeast Art on Instagram or go to hypebeast.com forward slash art. That's it for the Hype Report. For more updates and to listen to our other shows, go to hypebeast.com forward slash radio. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Feel free to leave a comment and let us know what you think about this week's topics. You can reach out to me on Instagram at Mikey and that's 2Bs. Thanks for listening, and be sure to tune in next week. Any comment, opinion, or suggestion made by any person contained in this episode does not represent Hypebeast in any way, and those genuinely are their individual, personal opinion and thoughts towards the topic shared.